Welcome to White Coats of the Round Table. My name is Mike Asbeck, and I'm here once again with my co-host, John McDonald. John, up, great everybody? to see you. Hey, it's good to be back with you, buddy, really. I know, yeah. Two in a row now together. I feel like over the summer we had a, a bit of a stretch where it was tough to get together, so now fall feels more normal. I don't know about you, but kids are back in school. There's a, a more, uh, maybe a rhythm to life that wasn't there during the summer. So for anyone that's joining us for the first time, we're White Coats of the Round Table, and we're a podcast dedicated to career development of all healthcare professionals. If you are unfamiliar with us, please give us a follow on any of the major streaming platforms. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review. If you don't like what you're hearing, definitely don't leave us a review. But John, today we're talking about something really interesting. We're going to circle back around to burnout. I know we earlier on did an episode with Alex on burnout, and anyone that's listening that has not listened to that, I would go check it out. But we wanted to circle back around because burnout is such a huge aspect of healthcare right now. I know several studies that I was looking at recently indicated, one of them said a majority of healthcare professionals were burned out. So I know Mm -hmm. that you've put a lot of work in to kind of lay the groundwork for why burnout is is such a thing and maybe what we can do to address it. It sounds like we're probably not going to knock it out in one episode, so maybe this will be the first of a series, but maybe introduce the topic for us today. So today we're going to talk about clinical burnout, but we're going to differentiate medicalization or is this an epidemic? So we're going to get a little bit into the history of burnout up until what we see in current affairs what people are currently doing for it um, in organizations, and maybe maybe a little bit about some of our uh, listeners and what they're doing, what they're maybe even seeing in their organizations. So before we get any further, define medicalization for me, because that's a new term for me. Okay. Medicalization, as according to the John McDonald Dictionary. My favorite dictionary. Is we are taking normal processes of life and creating a diagnosis or disease state based on a normal process in life. Uh, When you add a diagnosis to something, then it is a treatable disease, when in fact, again, it may just be a normal course action of life or feeling of life. Mm, So with that, so in reference to burnout, what you're saying or what you mean is, should burnout be viewed as something that is wrong, that needs to be corrected with a treatment plan, if we're going to stick with the medical analogy mm-hmm. versus something that is a normal aspect of a career and should be expected and maybe tolerated to some degree. Is that a fair interpretation of it? It definitely is fair. Let's simplify okay. it into saying, do we need to see a therapist about this or do we need to see your psychiatrist about this? Ah, okay. Excellent. That's a great way to delineate it. I, mm-hmm. I can get in on the mental health analogy. Mm-hmm. So where do you want to start? Well, I do want to start at something recent for us, Reddit. Ah, Reddit. Can yes. you tell the listeners a little bit about Reddit and what we're, what we're doing there now? All right. So for listeners, we are now on Reddit and it is so much fun. So one of the things that I think is great about Reddit, especially as we're talking about burnout, is most of the users on Reddit are anonymous. So Reddit, unlike any of the other social media platforms, you are not revealing your identity. And I think that allows for more candid, open discussion about topics such as this. Well, I think when we were speaking earlier, we said 
it allows us to see emotional, like raw emotion and not the polished, uh, what if my employer sees this or maybe what if my colleagues see this? So on Reddit, what we did recently, if you want to find us, our, our user handle is WCRT podcast. So we are not anonymous on Reddit. So recently we put up a question on Reddit and we had 45 listeners respond. So we asked, what is your organization doing to combat burnout? We keep hearing that healthcare burnout is an epidemic, but very little about what employers are going to do to address the issue. And on on the show, we wanted to share a couple of the answers just to give some insight into where listeners are at, where they feel their employer is at in terms of combating this. So one of the answers says, my work has successfully decreased their number of burned out nurses by being a-holes and driving half of them to quit. After all, you will have less burned employees if you literally have less employees. True. This is logical. Facts. So here's another one. We had mandatory wellness meetings with where an HR rep told my office that we've been talking about nursing shortages since the 90s. So what else can we do to address burnout? This was on a Friday during our lunch break. I would have been less burned out if they'd actually <laughs> let me eat my lunch. <laughs> All right. So here we go. We were forced to work more hours or, or pay a $2,000 penalty per month. I gave my notice. Well, good for you for giving your notice. Wow. I'm not even sure if that's legal. That's terrifying. And another one that's uh, really succinctly sums it up, literally nothing. Hmm. We'll do maybe one more. So we get pithy, pithy emails about being so wonderful in these challenging times, but not even a pizza party. I, and I think it's relevant now more than ever because wasn't it on Friday the largest U.S. strike ever for nursing occurred? Mm-hmm. 15,000 nurses in Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. That's not because people wanted to do it. People don't want to not make money. Um, they're willing to sacrifice everything to ensure, but it is a testy subject because there's also healthcare being a human right. Should we be denying our patients human rights because of what we view as, I don't know, money or time or extra stress on us? Because let's face it, even though we may be experiencing clinical burnout or even just career burnout, if you're not a clinician, uh, there are people worse off than you. And they might be in your hospital. So it's a hard balance. It's not, this isn't something we can necessarily give a, an honest opinion at this time because we don't have enough research to back this up, um, which is why we're getting into what we're going into today is to talk about what research we do have. And with the understanding that following COVID and this pandemic, there's going to be much more information and, and data uh, to support what we need to be doing in the future. I think you'd hit the nail on the head, though. This is the problem or one of the tough things of working in healthcare. In another field, if you're burned out, you look for another job. And presumably, that's not too difficult. And hopefully, you have skills that translate into another industry or another role. Mm-hmm. But in healthcare, I think there's two different aspects. And maybe you can expand on this. You've spent years and years and years training to do one task. If you're a physician, you went to school for 15 years to do that mm-hmm. one task. And if you're burned out, if you leave that role, you're going to do that same clinical task elsewhere. So that mm-hmm. can be a little discouraging. But also, we're caring for patients. Mm-hmm. If you strike, if you walk away from your job, if you leave your job or you tell your job, no, I can't work overtime, no, I can't do extra, in theory, patient care may suffer. And it's mm-hmm. really hard as a healthcare provider because we all went into this to help people. That's mm-hmm. the whole reason we're here. And yet at the same time, our desire to help people 
maybe prevents us from having the proper healthy boundaries in our careers that other industries can more easily implement. Before we get into the nitty gritty of where it's come from and and where we're going with it, I do want to discuss, can you tell me what you think is the number one reason that they found in research to contribute to clinical burnout? Mm. Okay. You haven't read my notes. I I have not read your notes, so Mm -hmm. I'm learning as we go, just like the listeners. But if I'm recalling back from the Medscape articles that I've read on their Mm -hmm. annual physician surveys, things like that. I believe the number one cause of burnout was administrative tasks, too, too much paperwork. Well, so it is a subset of that, which overtakes all the percentages. The subset is EHR management. Ah, um, okay. Which makes EHRs. sense. Mm-hmm. So the number one reason why we find fatigue and burnout is that once we meet with a patient, we have to document all these things. Mm-hmm. Now, you'll find... Doctors will not want to turn around, or PAs or NPs, who's ever documenting uh, these these patient interactions, they don't like to turn their back to the patient. They they like the good bedside manner. However, if they did, they would be much more filling their time so they're not over overworked, but they won't be giving the care that they want. Now, most of the the work out there right now from organizations such as the AMA, they are fighting this by trying to help with the EHR system. That's going to go pretty deep in in the next episode or upcoming episodes about what we can do as organizations or even as employees. But it's something as simple as the EHR. We came into this to, I'll talk as a pharmacist. I came into pharmacy to give expert opinion on medications, to educate patients and how to utilize these medications and to recognize uh, interactions and side effects and to correct physicians and providers on uh, information that they didn't understand or know and give options for better treatment plans. Now, when I got into there, when I got into my practicing, we immediately started immunizing. We lost a lot of pharmacists because they did not come into the practice to immunize. And so they quit. They had uh, most of these big box retailers, especially they had stipulations saying, if you do not get immunized, uh, immunization certification, we will fire you. You cannot work for us anymore. So people said, okay, I'm done. Now we have MTM, uh, where we have to call patients and get this. I had a phone call from a gentleman who's a pharmacist, been a pharmacist for dozens and dozens and dozens of years said to me, Hey, John, I got a phone call from my pharmacist the other day asking if I've been taking my lisinopril or whatever the med- medication was. And I said, why are you calling me? He's like, well, well, my insurance is make your insurance has made me call you and making sure that you, it's just a task we have to do. He's like, what, what are you talking about? He's like, well, we have to make sure you're taking your meds, no interactions and everything. It's just a follow-up thing. Well, what other people might not understand is when you go and wait at a pharmacy now, it's not waiting for a pharmacist to check your medication anymore. Just make sure that you get it correctly in the right amount of time. We are doing MTM. We're doing immunizations. We are taking care of the COVID pandemic by immunizing almost everybody now. And now with this new Pfizer bivalent booster, we're doing it all over again, plus flu shot season. I mean... That's why people are being burned out. We didn't go into this to do administrative tasks like that. You can't act, you can't take care of patients correctly. So I think it's interesting because, you know, healthcare is evolving. It always will. It will continue to evolve. Mm-hmm. And I think technology is a wonderful thing in the sense that when I see a patient, 
You're right. I'm not necessarily giving the patient my full attention because often I'm looking at the computer, I'm looking in the chart, and there is a loss of that personal connection, and I I hate it to some degree, Mm -hmm. and I try and minimize it. But the flip side to that is I just saw a patient recently, and we were trying to figure out a med change, and we went back and looked at all the notes from 2012 to see how they responded to a med Mm -hmm. in a different class. You would never be able to do that with paper charts. So even though EMR is the bane of our existence, it's also something that is immensely valuable because the more information we have available to us, the better, in theory, we're going to be able to practice. But Mm -hmm. hopefully, I think as we're talking about burnout, there's opportunities here to change there's opportunities to, to kind of cast aside, well, this is how it's always been done. Mm-hmm. Well, I always have to write a soap note because that's what we've always been done. Well, maybe down the road, mm-hmm. we have opportunities to have voice dictation that auto transcripts or things like that. There's a podcast called The Curbside Podcast. There's a great some great information about burnout on there. Um, if you go ahead and check out Burnout on The Curbside Podcast, there's some experts in the field that talk about the EHR system and how we manage it and maybe what was maybe even better about paper charting in the past. So if you want some background, we will talk about that more. Go check out the Curbside Podcast uh, on burnout. So talk to me about the history of burnout research, because I don't know about you, but my entire LinkedIn feed is just blowing up with people talking about burnout, people researching burnout. Is healthcare burnout a new phenomenon, or has this been something that's been plaguing our industry for a long time? So when we look in the past uh, in the literature, burnout starts being seen in 1974. The What they call the maybe the father of clinical burnout, his name is Herbert Freudenberger. So in 1974, he was the first one to put on an article that pointed to burnout. Now, he wasn't the only one. But the the second one to do so, his name was Sigmund Ginsberg. Uh, he was another uh, psychologist who who published, but not necessarily popularized the the idea. He subsequently had additional papers on the subject in 1975, 77, uh, two articles in 77, and one in 1980. From that time, though, until 1999, we saw maybe, I'm sorry, until 1989, we saw maybe 10 articles a year. It, there wasn't much about it. But at that time, what they quoted it was, it was a term described or used to describe a particular experience and mental state in the workplace even before it became a psychologically and clinically relevant condition. So they were taking something that was happening in the workplace and trying to associate it with uh, another uh, another term because there was already, already depression, there was already anxiety, but it didn't fit the mold. So that's why Freudenberger decided, okay, we have to discuss what is this phenomenon in the workplace. So from that time, though, we, we see articles, we have to measure this by articles because there's not a lot of data that we see. So there was a, uh, a research paper done to look at PubMed articles. They did a database search and presented it. I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes so you can read the findings yourself. It's extremely interesting looking back now um, to see what happened during the pandemic. But what was interesting is we found that 
from 1978 to 2011, there were 1,225 articles focusing on burnout. But this is definitely, it's logarithmic, as we'll see. The reason why we don't say 1974 is because Freudenberg stuff is not in there at that point. It's just not a part of PubMed. So they couldn't cite that. So from 1978, as I mentioned, there was hardly anything, maybe 10 a year that mentioned burnout in some fashion or another. But in the next 10 years, from 89 to 99, they saw about 20 to 30. So we saw a slight increase. But in 1999, we saw a spike going up to about 40 a year. 2005 is when we saw everything lift off. It's probably around when we started hearing a bit more about it. A lot of us were starting to go to school at that time. A lot of our podcast listeners are probably around the age range of 25 to 45. So we were in school at this time and we're starting to hear these topics. We started to see minimum of 50, but upwards of 140 articles a year on this. So we see a big increase, but why, why is that? We start exploring the reasonings behind, is it a medicalization? So this paper was really interesting. And looking back, we had to find out the logarithmic increase from depression and differentiating it from burnout. So what they saw was from that time period, there was a 7.7 factor increase in burnout, but only a 3.4 increase factor of depression. So it's not merely medicalization because we have, we separated it from depression and it's a lot higher. What this suggests though, is that the scientific interest in burnout extends behind mere expansion of medical knowledge or of medical and psychological research on specific mental conditions. That's what this article's results really came out to be. So that's the old history of, of 1974 until we'll call it 2011 because the last 10 years is very different. It's so fascinating because, you know, obviously correlation does not equal causation. We know that. That's hopefully day one for all of our medical training. But mid-2000s, there's so many different factors. As you said earlier, widespread adoption of EMR started to happen in the mid to late 2000s. Yep. Millennials started to enter the workforce. And, you know, for better or worse, you and I are both millennials. And I mm -hmm. think the millennial generation is different. Mm -hmm. So is burnout something where millennial expectation for you know what a career in healthcare would look like or be maybe that's mm -hmm. different than our prior generations but also i think the healthcare workforce shortage has really worsened starting in the mid 2000s if you look at the moratorium on opening new med schools it was basically from 1980 to the early 2000s where the population in the us exploded but the number of med schools and matriculation in med school really didn't increase at all so there was a, a growing healthcare shortage for nursing, for physicians, and all of that really took, took hold and really expanded in the early 2000s as well. So I think there were a lot of different factors that may have contributed to making healthcare that much more difficult as a career with all of these things just continuing to get worse in the past 20 years, unfortunately. I would agree with you. It's uh, even from your time coming from graduation until now and my graduation until now, I, I graduated in 2013. When did you graduate? 2012. Okay. So even from that time, how much extra burden have you seen in your clinical practice? And, and I don't, I don't want to say burden in the sense, a negative thing. I'm just saying work burden on your, or time burden. Yeah, absolutely. It's changed. You know, just mm -hmm. in the past 10 years, there's more time spent doing prior authorizations. There's mm -hmm. more time spent 
charting and documenting, making sure that you're hitting all the the meaningful use buttons and and making sure you're counseling on smoking cessation, making sure you're counseling Mm -hmm. on obesity. So they're doing those things to try and help Mm -hmm. take the burden Mm -hmm. from us, like thinking like, what else do I have to do? Let the computer tell you, oh, you haven't ordered potassium labs in over a year. And they're on insulin. You need to be checking your your potassium labs. Would you like to order a potassium lab? Yes, I would like to. Well, there's tons of those. If you're a provider and you know how standing orders work or order sets work, if you're working, especially within Epic systems, they are built off of order sets. It was supposed to help. And it does. But we're still seeing that there's more and more and more required of us. Now, I do want to go take a step back for a second and tell you, I enjoy doing immunizations. Uh, for three years uh, as a, a business partner, coordinator, and, and wellness coordinator uh, for a company, that's what I did. I, I pitched, sold, and executed immunization programs across businesses, schools, uh, other companies. So I love, I love doing that. It's that you have to do that plus this plus that and try to do it efficiently, effectively, and may I say happily. So yes, there, there are things that we have been trying to do, but now we have to shift again and say, well, that didn't work now that we're post-pandemic. Uh, would you agree with that? Is there a better way to be, is there other ways that you can imagine that you could do your work happily, that you can actually see patients, not even really changing much in your clinic, but if you could spend more time doing the things that you want to do, it would be more satisfactory? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think any clinician will tell you that they went into medicine to treat patients. They went into medicine for the relationships that they can build with patients. No one went into this field to do paperwork or to fight with insurance companies. So anything that we can do to restore the priority of medicine as the relationship between the patient and the provider, I think that's gonna be a huge thing to combat burnout. So talk to me, let's move a little bit and let's talk about the current research. So you gave us a bit of an overview of when burnout started to kind of pop up on medical researchers' eyes. Mm -hmm. Talk to me now about what's going on currently. What organizations are in the burnout fight? Leading the pack here is the AMA. Say what you will about the AMA and what they've been doing and then some negative positive. In this area, they are one of the forefront leaders. Now, I'll talk about one of the other ones as well that I believe is doing the probably the most significant work, but the AMA has a, a program. If, if you Google this, just Google AMA steps forward. You may have already seen this website. If you're in practice, may not, but the, the whole website uh, and organization steps forward is built to assist providers in identifying whether they have clinical burnout steps to avoid or to treat it themselves and gives organizations a lot of opportunities to develop their practices and such that will, through data, will decrease clinical burnout among their staff, whether they follow those directions or not. So go ahead. I don't know. Did we have to say something? I definitely have been cutting you off. No, it's good. I, uh, I'm chuckling at your thoughts on the AMA. I agree. You know, the AMA can have some, uh, some positives and negatives, but I think the nice thing with the AMA and this is one time where I will say some positive things about them, is they're a huge organization. They've got a lot of resources behind them. So it's a really wonderful thing because they have the ability to to really do a lot of good. And a program like this where they can combat burnout is not only beneficial for physicians, 
but any other healthcare professional can use these same resources and, and still get a lot out of it. So I, I applaud the AMA for really shining a light on this issue. Well, let's talk about anything else in the world. If you want to try and get anything done, the people that who are most willing to do it are are mostly those who don't have enough leverage or enough capital to do so. It, it would be this would be like if the White House decided to take action on something. Once the White House says, we're going to take action on, on this, we're going to put this much money towards it, you're like, okay, it's going to get done, you know, because they have leverage and capital. Now, you have far more the, faith in the government than I do, but that's cool. that's okay. Well, we're going to get to some of the actions being taken soon, and we can discuss that. The AMA is like that, though, right? There's a, there are a huge umbrella mm-hmm. that determine a lot of the clinical activities and measurements, uh, advice given to JCO and DOH, I mean, they're one of the leading partners. So if they are taking steps forward, pun intended, then that means that somebody is taking it seriously. Somebody far up is saying, okay, this is bad. We have to work on this. Okay, so that's number one. I'm not going to get into specifics. Go into steps forward yourself. A lot of information on there. And depending on whether we want to talk about it a bit more, I have plenty of information. Next. Now, this is a gentleman. And I, I swear, if you're listening to this, Dr. Mark Linzer, I want you on the podcast. I've read all of your stuff. I'm putting seen- out the bat signal. Uh, please, if if anybody here knows Dr. Linzer, he is the leading individual in identifying and researching burnout in, in the United States. Um, he's worked underneath the AMA. He's worked for another organization called the AHRQ, which is the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality. Uh, but Mark Linzer, he is the creator of the Mini-Z. Now, the Mini-Z is something that we will be attaching to our show notes as well. It is a, I mean, everybody hears mini, they automatically go, they sit back and go, okay, it's an assessment, some sort of assessment that's supposed to identify whether you have this or that, but it's a, it is a great assessment to see, are you experiencing burnout? Very honest questions being asked and they're not very difficult. It's not like rating yourself. How is your satisfaction on a scale from one to 10? Very specific details into, are you experiencing this thing? Yes. You might have clinical fatigue. Uh, so he works out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, if you look him up to, you're going to see his name on almost every article associated with this that has the um, highest citations. Now the AHRQ, now this is my favorite, my personal favorite. Their whole organization is built on let's identify, assess, research what is happening that is decreasing quality in the healthcare system. They probably have the most information um, available for opportunities for organizations to take action. Now, if you go on that website, if you are yourself an, uh, an admin in the organ in an organization, whether it be a hospital system or maybe private clinic, they give out grants by the bukus. Uh, they are giving away money to have you research how we can increase quality and their number one is to make sure clinical burnout is is probably the number one right now so for instance there's a ahrq funded healthcare workplace study that was um it was it was grant number hs 18160 if you want to look it up it had to deal with ehr simplification 
You can go on their website, you can see all the money they spend, exact amounts of dollars that they've given to specific organizations, and what these organizations are measuring, whether they're doing clinical studies or not, because it's not always a requirement. Now, they wanted to utilize non-terminal degrees, uh, professionals, you know, MAs, possibly, or uh, medical scribes, uh, and newer, um, what's that, what's that, uh, what's that? that application that physicians were starting to use like 15, 20 years ago that you were supposed to do talk to text and it worked horribly. Everybody hated it. Like dragon something. Do you remember this? Yeah. Dragon, which I use in 10 years. I'm talking about when it first came out. So 10 years ago when I graduated, we were Mm -hmm. early adopters of dragon and Mm -hmm. it was painful. Yes. It, It probably took more time than it was actually worth. Half our clinic was still doing transcription services at a, a quarter per line. But now I still have Dragon, and it's pretty darn good. And even beyond that, sometimes I'll use just my Mac and mm-hmm. use the Siri function. And, um, you know, that works well, too. Mm-hmm. So Voice the text technology, have been amazing. Yep, technology has advanced to the point where I think the transcription service or automated transcription is very usable. Mm-hmm. But what they found in this study is let's get, take it off their hands completely. So you don't even have to think about it. I think about the time that I decided, you know what? I love doing finances and my personal budgets. I'm a creep about it though. I was the spreadsheet guy and every end of the week I'd be like, okay, Carolyn, my wife, I'd say, we have to, re- we have to look at this. This is a percentage of how much we spent in this area. This is a percentage of this. This is what's left over. This is, she hated it because I was a psycho about it right? If it was taken out of my hands, it would probably be handled better. Uh, so my wife did take it over. She's, I'll just take it. I don't think about it. I'm happy. Uh, and I, I participate as I need to participate with it. I believe that's the same thing with this. Physicians, if they had the opportunity, they would never document ever. And you could see this when you read some of the notes, right? The physicians, we'll call it medical students, medical student notes. How long are they? Oh my God, you got, <laughs> you got time to read one? Go ahead. You see an attending physician, what does their note say on a patient? Not unremarkable, order labs. That's it. Like it's, yeah, it's, it's so hard though, because I think we've all been so trained that if you document poorly, mm-hmm. you're going to get sued and you're going to expose yourself from a legal perspective, which is mm-hmm. likely true. Yeah. This is where I think technology and disruption though will eventually solve this issue. I sat in on a a seminar maybe a year ago and it was for a dragon type of uh, software but mm-hmm. what it did is it automatically constructed the note and it used ai to know what section each thing should go into so not mm-hmm. only did it automatically transcribe your voice but as you were dictating you could do the physical exam with the patient or you could interview the patient and it would all get dictated in and the computer software knew what section of the note to put it in. So you really didn't have to do anything other than lock the note. Okay, so as you're palpating, um, you know, or if you're listening through stethoscope, you could be saying, okay, um, I'm hearing a murmur. Exactly. Uh, gallop. Yep. And it, as you're, that's amazing. So it's it's coming. I mm-hmm. think we'll, we'll thankfully, I think, have an opportunity probably within the next five or 10 years to sure. completely address charting and documentation as a cause of burnout. Uh, I can't tell you how many times that I had a conversation, wrote a sticky note down because I don't, I didn't have any software around and to say like, okay, got to do this, this, and that. But guys, we threw out my sticky note. Where's my sticky note? 
you know, it's. It, I don't think I don't that holds up in court, guys. No, I exactly. wanted to. Sticky I wanted notes. to document it, but someone threw out my sticky note. Don't I think sue you me. Should be suing Post-it. It's not me. It's the it sticky is. note. It's company. all Post-it's fault. Yep. So yeah. Th- so if we take certain actions out of providers' hands, satisfaction goes up. If I didn't have to do some of the documentation I had to do with the state for COVID, I, I would be much happier for sure. Okay, so let's move on. Uh, the Mayo Clinic, very involved. They, if you want to look it up, they did a study called MEMO. Uh, the MEMO study evaluated around 7,000 physicians. They sent it out to, I think, around 16,000 physicians, but only uh, around 7,000 decided to submit their complete results. It evaluated 2011 to 2014. And what they found in the study was during that time, now, I find this incredible. Tell me if I'm off on this one. They found that a decrease in satisfaction with work-life balance went down from 48.9% in 2011 down to 40.9%. So 8% drop in just three years. Now, could you imagine if they did this study again right now? Oh my goodness, right. Coming out of COVID, it would be immensely higher. The great regression, we all hear that term over and over and over again. Uh, I'm going to be bringing some data in the next in the next episode so you can see what impact this has actually made in the workforce. But let's move down to the World Health Organization. Now, this is where it gets fun. Are you familiar with the ICD-10, Mike? I am, unfortunately. Okay, good. Okay. Are you familiar with the ICD-11? Uh, I don't know. I don't think so, because we're currently on ICD-10, correct? Correct. So WHO doesn't necessarily have oversight in the United States. They don't determine this, what we're going to be billing. Now, the ICD-10, or sorry, the ICD-11 updated this January of 22. Uh, I went to their website, looked up the codes currently, and the last time this was revised was in February 2022. If you have burnout you can now get a diagnosis. It is under QD85. Now, this isn't accepted. You can't bill for this currently in the United States, but it may be coming. If you're familiar with how coding works and medical coding, the parent of this uh, code is problems associated with employment or unemployment. So it's under, uh, you're probably more familiar with this, Mike, because you're in psychiatry. Right. I use that code actually frequently, the parent code. According to the World Health Organization, in their new ICD-11, it's going to be described as burnout, explained as a syndrome conceptualized as resulting from chronic workplace stress that has not been successfully managed. It's characterized by three dimensions, feelings of energy depletion or exhaustion, increased mental distance from one's job, or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to one's job, and a sense of ineffectiveness and lack of accomplishment. Now, I look at that and I say, have you ever felt any of those, Mike, in the last three years? I I would be hard-pressed to find a healthcare professional that hasn't felt that over the past three years. A hundred percent. And I'm going to, the subcategory here is burnout refers specifically to phenomena in occupational context, though, and should not be applied to describe experiences in other areas of life. So we're talking specifically career here. 
So those are a few organizations and people working on it. There's plenty more that we can discuss. If you have questions about who else is doing this, I've got a major list. I will be posting those in the show notes under our patreon.com forward slash WCRT podcast. So let's let's shift focus a little bit. I want to make sure that we're covering everything that you want to cover. And it's a lot. Mm hmm. So you, you told me before the episode that you had a lot of different companies that were not healthcare companies that were leading the pack outside of medicine in their combat in the way that they combat burnout. And I'm intrigued because you used Bumble as an example that we should be following. So please tell me more. I'm going to get through this quick because this is just interesting. I'm going to look off mic here for a second. And I'm just going to rip these off. Okay. Yes. Bumble is part of it. Hootsuite's part of it. I mean, some of these people, TikTok, Facebook, Reddit, let's talk a little bit about this. I do want to mention though, Mike, my frustration here is how is not one medical facility, healthcare company on these lists. These are Time Magazine and Forbes. I'm Now this might be raw emotion. That is unacceptable and ridiculous. Okay, moving forward. There's a Time Magazine article I'm going to list here. They were looking at the great resignation, but the quit levels were about 10 to 15% in 2019. And so they had to adjust. These companies had to adjust. And this is what Time Magazine had to say about the top companies who had to adjust their workflow or company strategy. For example here, we have Fidelity Investments. They were piloting a program that decreased employee work hours to 30 hours a week. They have a, a small pay cut, but they gave them full benefits still. Who would not do that right now? I would do that right now. There's Tom Keck, I'm sorry, tech companies, including Bumble, LinkedIn, and Hootsuite. They are closing for a week now out of the year uh, to combat exhaustion and burnout. Highwire, which is a public relations company, they aim to eliminate 30% of its meetings to give employees ample time away from Zoom. HubSpot took initiatives, uh, quarterly surveys, giving ambiguity and certainty of the pandemic. They wanted to see uh, what people had to say. So now from that results of those results of those uh, surveys, they had an annual week of rest. They turn off email during this. You cannot email in or out. They don't want anybody accessing their email. And most people don't take it vacations right now because they don't want to come back to 7,000 mm -hmm. emails. Okay. Now they, they did mention that they do keep um, critical personnel on that would answer. Of course they would, they would have to, they eliminated internal meetings on Fridays oh. and they offered trainings for managers who wanted to better support their teams and workshops. Now I'm a little bit less, you know, on those ones because a lot of times to me, that seems as though somebody's just throwing some money at something saying, how much is it going to cost us to uh, give people headspace or calm for a year? You know, how, what's the risk versus benefit here? I'm going to jump over to Forbes real quick, though. I'm just going to list off a few here. In 2020, American workers left 33% of their paid time off. Could you... Can you believe that? But they increased their average work day by 49 minutes. You know what? That doesn't even shock me, though. So I, I don't have mm -hmm. PTO. I, I'm, not, I'm in a different situation. But mm -hmm. I can understand it because taking time off, you get punished. And mm -hmm. I don't mean that from a punitive employer perspective. But if you're managing a panel of patients and you take a week off, you're mm -hmm. coming back to 
500 emails, 200 telephone encounters, 150 e-prescriptions to send. So it's really hard to take time off. Sometimes it's less stressful to just work. There is a TikTok. We give unlimited PTO now, right? What does that mean? And anybody who has been on TikTok, Reddit, Instagram, and for any HR rep who has made some sarcasm uh, or sarcastic post about this, you understand where I'm going with this one. There is no such thing as unlimited PTO. It's a farce. And this guy does, did an amazing job at wrapping that all together. So I'm going to share that with all of you. But AT&T and Unilever, these are just a couple of companies that decided to give extra resources to their um, employees just for some benefits of understanding their own reactions to burnout. But this is where I think it's, this is hilarious. Now, I don't think this would ever work in healthcare. We know that physicians are doing this in the hospital systems during the residencies, but there are a, a couple companies, Cisco and then Ben and Jerry's, of course, it's an ice cream shop, but they offer their office employees a place to take short naps during the day. Would you not like to take a nice nap, Mike? I would love that, but I can't complain because I have a couch in my office. So in theory, yeah, I could. Yeah. Psychology. Psychiatry, yeah. Mm -hmm. Jeez. So they cut back on videos. Storyblocks implemented no meeting Wednesdays. PR firm Highwire uh, has a goal to purge 30% of its meetings. There's flexible schedules. Reddit, Skillshare, Facebook now can work from home permanently. Hybrid approach, approach, including Amazon, Nationwide, and Dropbox. So they have the choice. But this is a little bit older article because you saw recently Amazon, they had a really bad uh, PR issue following their their instructions for their employees to return full time. And even though their their corporate entities were not. So they were forced into it now. So moving, there's plenty more where that comes up. Bumble. I'm not going to go past Bumble at this point because I want to leave on this note. Bumble recently announced it's giving all of its 700 plus employees a paid week off to help burn out. And there's more where that came from. Some companies are giving $250 extra on top of their pay just to take their vacation. There are other companies that will give a $7,500 extra bonus a year for them to go on vacation, but they are not allowed to access any sort of work detail information uh, mail while they're out there. So there are companies that are doing this. Did you hear me talk about any healthcare companies? I don't remember, Mike. No, unfortunately, and it, yeah. I agree with you, it's concerning, but even as you're going through the list, I can see how difficult it is because you made a point earlier when you were talking about the Times article, mm -hmm. and you said, well, of course, the company kept critical employees you know, on staff to, to deal with those issues. And what are we? Exactly. So that's the hard thing is this all sounds great, but we are by definition, almost mm -hmm. everybody in healthcare is a critical employee. We can't shut down the hospital for a week to give everyone a mental health break. So and if here do, lies the problem. That's what the strike is. That's where this ethical conundrum comes from. So let's go for just a little bit. This is the last statement we're going to make about this because it's current news, what's happening currently. You may be asking yourself this. Your HR rep maybe hasn't gotten back to you on this. What's going on in the world? Well, right now, if you're in New York State, you've heard of the Healthcare Worker Bonus Program. Have, have you discussed this at all? Or have you heard this discussed, rather, Mike, among your colleagues? Yeah, HR sent us an email, and there's okay. been lots of discussion at, at my job about it. Okay, so in August, uh, our governor decided that we were going to start giving really a bonus structure for those who worked during the pandemic. Now, it is a tiered program, and they, the companies 
themselves had to identify if their employees qualified or not. Funny enough, now, if you look at the list, we all, if you breathe and you ever wore some sort of a coat or wrote anything down that was slightly medical, pretty much you, um, you can join this program. But September 2nd was the due date for these companies. Uh, and if they did not identify these employees in the right amount of time or correct uh, deadline, they were going to be fined $1,000 per employee that they did not identify. So they are under the gun as employers uh, to be fined. Now, this I'm sure this is going to be coming out soon, but your analyzed, annualized base salary could not exceed one twenty-five thousand. Uh, for specifics, you're going to have to see if that is your uh, federally adjusted uh, or not. I, I'm not sure the details of that, but the max reward is three thousand dollars for these qualifying individuals, and it's tiered. If you work twenty to thirty hours during that time. Your structured bonus is $500. If you're 30 to 35, you're $1,000. If you're 35 plus, you're, um, or 35, uh, or right below 40, $1,500, but a max of 3,000. So they are trying to give some sort of respite to healthcare workers who did, I'm going to say, I will say suffer. We suffered during that time. It was, it was very stressful, but. There's going to have to be a lot more research going on. The HHS just announced too that they are going to be giving $103 million uh, called the American Rescue Plan. And they're really to strengthen resiliency and to address burnout in the health, uh, healthcare workforce. If you see where that money is being spent right now, I don't know if you would agree that it's really going to do too much. $103 million for the whole nation. How many physician salaries is that, folks? How much is that really going to do to address this? I don't know. You, maybe we can discuss that uh, on Reddit. Maybe we can discuss it on the Offscript podcast. Now, I get that this was a very long episode to discuss what the history was. I think that if you stayed this long and you understand the backbone structure to this, fighting it and moving forward is going to make a lot more sense on our next episode, identifying if you have burnout and what you can actually do about it. So I, here's my proposition for you, John. I think we should take this over to the patron side. And what I'd love to do for patron members is I'd like to talk with you about maybe some personal symptoms or experiences of burnout, because I think as healthcare workers, we've all had them. And I'd love to, on the patron side, talk about maybe being a little bit more open uh, and more transparent about what we've personally experienced and how we've been able to combat burnout or maybe areas that we feel we're not doing a good job of combating burnout. Before we leave, let's switch over to personal things. I recently uh, downloaded this past you know, eight months or so audiobooks uh, on Audible. I started listening to all these books that I just know I don't have time for now and I've had on my shelf for years trying to get to, saying once I left graduate school, I'm going to read for pleasure. Rarely does that get done now. So I, I listen to, I'm, I'm currently listening to World War Z. I'm currently listening to Ender's Game. I just listened to uh, Pet Cemetery uh, by Stephen King. And I listened to um, Monte, uh, Count of Monte Cristo. So if listeners are following us on socials, you, you'll notice that I'm maybe a little bit obsessed with outdoor activities. And John mistakenly has allowed me to control the social media platforms lately. So we're seeing a lot of articles on outdoor activities. But truly, I, I believe that outdoorsy stuff like hiking, biking, climbing, they're all good because they're physically engaging. 
but I think also being out in the in the wilderness, in the woods, is really good for you mentally. We recently posted a, a link on our socials of the American Psychological Association talking about how nature is actually quite psychologically healing, above and beyond just getting mm-hmm. outside and just having exercise. So this weekend, I'm doing a workcation, which is my favorite thing to do. I'm going to Boston to do a little consulting, but I'm going to bring my dad and my oldest son with me. And after I'm done in Boston, we're going to drive up through Vermont, right at the leaf change in, in September. And we're going to go up to Lake Placid, which is, as listeners may also know by now, my favorite place in the world. And my son is going to do his first backpacking trip. So we're doing Mount Marcy, which is the highest mountain in New York. You're doing Marcy with him? God. Yep. So 15 miles round right. trip. And mm-hmm. he's super excited. But the weather forecast for next week, the summit of Marcy next Friday is supposed to be a wind chill of minus two. So winter mm-hmm. is coming at the high elevation. So it's going to be interesting. I think this weekend might be my son's introduction to what we call type two fun, which means it's miserable when you do it, but then you look back on the activity fondly. And I think there's value to type two fun because it teaches people perseverance. It teaches people that even when things are difficult, the payoff or the the end result is worthwhile. But this may be a, a really, really great experience for my son, or it may be a lot of suffering and type two fun and misery. All right. Well, thank you guys for listening to White Coats of the Round Table. As we said earlier, we're going to jump over to the patron-only side. So if you are not a patron member, you can go to patreon.com slash WCRT. We have membership options as low as $5 a month. You get bonus episodes. In addition to each main episode, we'll do a bonus. We also put all of our show notes on there, which our hope is these can be very educational and good resources for you as listeners. We're also continuing to always build value, so we're adding more fun things as you go, so feel free to check it out. Otherwise, John, I'll, I'll turn it over to you. The last thing we got to say, everybody, is Testimonials Project is still in full swing. We are looking for more and more individuals who want to talk about what they're doing in a short segment. We'll be posting these videos across all of our social media accounts. Please, if you know somebody or you yourself want to get involved, please reach out to us. Uh, We want to hear from you guys. All right, everybody.